This is episode number 374 with Kevin Gould and Anne McFerrin of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey, Founder Fam, hope you're doing well wherever you are around the world. Uh, Nathan here, and you are in for an absolute treat. You're going to hear from Kevin Gould and Anne McFerrin on how they've taken Glamnetic from zero to $49 million in annual revenue in year two, and how they really found a gap uh, in the marketplace and really scaled that. So Kevin's done a ton of different companies uh, and he partnered with Anne um, and it's really, really impressive what these guys have been able to do. Um, you're going to hear how Anne used her artist background to create a unique product in the market. Really like how they magnetize the liner to really blow people's minds. So really around product creation and how that came about. And if you have a product idea, like this is golden. Um, they talk about how they're scrappy with product shots, finding free models on Bumble, how they use DMs into a sales prospecting channel, like and so much more, the marketing channels they're working and really how they grew this brand at an astronomical speed and rate. This was an incredible interview. I enjoyed this so much. All right, guys, if you are enjoying these interviews, please do take the time to leave us a review. Now let's jump in the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. The first question that I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job? Okay, how'd you find, how'd you guys find yourself doing the work you're doing today? And why don't you, why don't you take that one first? <laughs> Yeah, um, that's a great start. I mean, I actually was going to, uh, when actually I went to UCLA for college and I went to uh, do a pre-med degree. I graduated, became a full-time artist for about four years. And uh, I was also kind of like a micro-influencer because I was also, you know, kind of running my art page and becoming an influencer at the same time. And um, basically, Kevin was was uh, had another brand called insert name here and 
um, they were gifting me ponytails. And so uh, they asked me to come and be a model for one of their photo shoots. And it wasn't paid. So initially I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to go. It's not paid. And then I realized um, at the at that around that time, I was actually wanting to start my own brand because I felt pretty lonely um, and felt like kind of stuck being, being an artist because I felt like it wasn't scalable. Um, with going into, you know, entrepreneurship and having a brand, you know, you can replicate the product, you can mass produce a product and sell it. And I felt like my creativity um, was sort of just, you know, stuck on a canvas, but I couldn't pay someone else to paint it. So that was sort of the reason why I started um, wanting to start a brand. And so I was actually in product development mode, like had finished product developing uh, my product and everything was going to start the brand. Um, and then I met Kevin at the photo shoot and that's sort of when, um, I mean, just after talking for a while, like he was like, Oh, I really want to be a part of this. Let's like partner up on, on Glamnetic. And so that's sort of when, um, we became partners on that. Um, and yeah, that's sort of like the beginner story. And, and I think, I think on my end, I mean, look, I, I, every day I'm like, how did I get here in my current job? Right. But it's funny. I feel like when I like backtrack to, my career and where I started, it all sort of makes sense and comes together. But I actually, I started in the mailroom at the talent agency, WME. It's a huge talent agency in LA. And, and uh, so I actually started on the entertainment side and I was working with talent for a long time. And then I got really deep in the influencer space. And then um, kind of through that, through that, I was managing really, really large um, digital influencers for a while and then sort of parlay that in the brand space. And then kind of like Ann mentioned, um, I, uh, I co-own two other brands in the, in, in the space. And, um, and when we linked up, we, it just, it was like, uh, you know, you kind of, when you know, you know, from a, from a partner perspective, and then that's when we partnered up and that's how I find my, found myself in the job. Yeah. Awesome. So, um, yeah, really interesting how you guys both met. Um, so like, uh, this is interesting because, um, oftentimes usually we're getting pictures from, you know, all sorts of PR agencies like a WME. But the way that I was introduced to you guys is through uh, one of my friends, Aman Asadi. And he said, hey, Nathan, do you, do you want to speak to Ann and Kevin? Glamnetic is blowing up, like straight off the bat. He said, you guys have gone from zero to $50 million in annual revenue in one year. Is that correct? It was one one to fifty, but 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 close enough. And Armand, he's a great, <laughs> yeah. he's a great guy, man. He's a really 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 smart guy as well. Um, but it was, you know, it it, it was definitely hyper growth. I think um, you know, Ann can kind of touch on the beginnings of this story. But we, you know, the brand launched in 2019, and we did you know a million the back half of that year, and then last year um, in 2020, uh, it, it it went to fifty, and so it was you know, there's a lot of things that have to come into place from we were layering infrastructure and teams and hiring and a lot of things, um, that last year, but yeah, it was, it was, fortunately it was, it was like hyper growth. It's crazy because it, you know, we, I, I sort of had, I never launched a brand before. I've never been an entrepreneur. Uh, so like starting a brand was like my first kind of, you know, step into it. And my goal initially was literally to do like 10 K a month. <laughs> that was all I was like I was like that was that was like the benchmark I guess and when I was like oh 10k a month that sounds like a lot that's great and then it, you know first month out of the gate we we're doing like 20k a month and then it was just like doubling every month um because of just kind of all the resources and e efforts we put in and starting that sort of like marketing machine 
turning that on. Um, and then uh, I was sort of like the face of the brand. I did like all the content creative marketing um, and like all the retention, stuff like that, marketing aspect. Um, and it, it sort of just kind of got its own legs and became viral. I think the product too was like a genius product um, and it lends itself well to um, really solving a main issue uh, in the beauty industry, which is like lashes are one of the hardest things to apply in the makeup um, in terms of your makeup routine. And so we're fixing that problem where like majority of girls don't know how to put on lashes and we're solving that problem, making it so much easier, like a less than five minute application. Um, so it just, you know, blew up because it, it just worked really well. And we just made sure like product quality was good. Um, so yeah, it was, it was all of the above. And I think like, obviously with COVID last year was very interesting with, um, particularly with lashes, right? Like when women were wearing masks, well, then all of a sudden the eye up became extremely important, which was really an interesting, you know, interesting uh, sort of shift in the market. But I think like the other thing that allowed us to scale was, you, you know, I think to scale a brand to that level today, you have to be really strong at like content, creative, social, influencer, acquisition and retention and the con that entire marketing flywheel. And if like one or two things are off, you stall out on the, on the growth. And so I think like between myself and Anne and then the rest of the team that we assembled, um, we were pretty good at a lot of those things, which then allowed us to, you know, to scale the brand. Yeah, wow. This is like, this is crazy. Cause just, just for context, we speak to a lot of successful founders, but yeah, that, that kind of growth is, is pretty uh, insane. Like that's pretty rare. So I'd love to delve a little deeper just around the early conversations. Like, can you talk to us like around the product, around the manufacturing, like the early stages of that? Like, what did that look like? Yeah. So um, I had never, again, never developed a product before. I literally um, sort of fully committed to this idea because I, I had been obsessed with lashes my entire life when I was younger. Um, I actually immigrated here with my mom uh, from Thailand when I was seven years old. And so I was the only Asian person at my school and um, always feeling like, oh, I didn't really quite fit in. And so I, once I got into makeup kind of in my adolescent years, I realized like it really helped boost my confidence. And one of the main things was lashes that kind of helped with that. And so I was addicted to lashes. I wore lashes every day in my life. Like I've tried every single type of lash um, and I never went outside without wearing lashes. And um, I kind of saw this like huge wave of like magnetic lashes, um, this trend kind of happen around magnetic lashes. And then when I tried them, I was really excited about the concepts, but it didn't work the way that you think it, the, it, or it didn't work as easily as it should have worked. But you have to align all the magnets um, perfectly. And they were the type that sandwiched your natural lashes in between. And I was just like, this needs to kind of be rethought. You know, there needs to be, um, first of all, the lash style itself is like really thin and plasticky and not flattering and I always love like lashes that are longer have more volume and so I was like what why can't like lashes have more volume like be more glam but also be magnetic and also easy to apply and so I went sort of down this like rabbit hole of like doing research online like YouTube Coursera like I literally used all the courses online to figure out like how to source product and develop products how to get in touch with manufacturers um and I got into in touch with a bunch of manufacturers like had like 300 plus conversations, um, hundreds of samples later, and sort of came up with like the prototype that we had that we launched with, which was literally, I was like, take like a full 
glam lash and like glue five magnets on it. And then the manufacturer was like, we've never done that before. Like, I don't know if we can, we don't have the right glue. Like it was like all the right adhesive that you need to use for it. Like, um, it was very technical in that sense. And so it was just like a lot of like trial and error to kind of come up with like the final product. Um, so yeah, it was had 200 WhatsApp conversations going on with manufacturers. <laughs> it was insane. I mean, I think it was, it, it, it was a lot of obviously outreach on her part, just to all the different, uh, manufacturers and, and coordinated with lots of samples back and forth to get this thing into existence. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, it sounds like you guys didn't just go find a product because we know that like, yeah, mag magnetic eyelashes is a trending product, is a trending category. Um, you didn't just go onto Alibaba, you know, find the best manufacturer you could. You, you spent a fair amount of time on product development. How long did that take? Yeah, it took, it took a year because it was nothing like that that was on, like on Alibaba or anything like in terms of like magnetic lashes that were glam and had like magnets, like multiple, more than three on the, the magnet. So it was something that I had to like find out. Um, and they just, it, a lot of them were all like really thin and like plastic looking. I don't know why what that was the case. I just never progressed to that, like the next level. And so I was like, I can, I saw that line of like the lashes, lash styles going into the next level of like looking like a full normal strip lash, like the type I used to like wear all the time. Um, so I was just like confused why that wasn't out on the market and was like actually really surprised. Um, and so I think that's why when like, you know, we came out with that, um, we came out with five styles initially that were like pretty glam and people were like shocked. They were like, wow. And it actually works, you know? And so it was, um, I think that was sort of like when we, I was like, oh, wow, this thing has legs. Let's like keep launching more styles. Let's keep, you know, like, and so it's just like, sort of keep feeding the momentum. I was like so scared that they was like, this is going to end tomorrow. Cause I was like, this is crazy that this is happening. You know, like you could just think that as a founder, like when you start getting momentum, it's it's kind of like you have to keep like working 24 seven to keep it going. I think the other thing that really lent itself well to the product development process was like Anne's artistic background. So, you know, I, I think Anne being an artist really was like a big benefit because she took the best of being an artist and like creating something and threw that into like creating product. And so I think what came out was like a much higher quality unique, innovative product in the market that um, had not been on the market before. And I think you have to lead with a solid product if you want to get to scale. And so I think that really helped us in the beginning was, um, was the sort of the artistic background coming full circle. Mm, I see. So I'm curious, let's like really go back to the timeline just to give people context, because I think sometimes when they look at starting a business, they wouldn't, they wouldn't even think that you'd spend a year on product development. So is that what you guys were doing in 2018, just pure product development? And then you launched 2019? Yeah. yeah, 2018, like actually before, it was like 2017, like end of 2017, I was like working on it. And then I met Kevin like probably late 2000, like in 2019. So it was like, I was, I was working on it for a while. And then also um, the website development just took way longer than it should have because I just, it's like a try. I went like I went on Upwork and got you know all my developers from Upwork. They're like from India, like three dollars an hour. Like I had this guy from the Philippines, like three dollars an hour, um, and just it was a lot of trial and error because like then the code that they were were doing was like so clunky, and then like the website's clunky, and then like you don't know that you right when you're first starting off, you have no idea like what that 
even means like to have clunky code be never coded um and then yeah like trying to get inspo for like what the branding or you know should look like like going through like different like it wasn't perfect you know from the beginning i think um i had an idea of like what i wanted everything to look like and then when the developer finished i was like oh that's not what i want it to look like and so we had to redo everything so it was just a lot of like going back to the, the website itself took six months which was which is probably way longer than it should take but you know that's just one of the things like it's it's like a trial and error sort of thing if you're just starting a brand like you don't know what you're doing and that's totally fine like i think it's really important to go through that so you know going forward what is what's what should be actually like happening <laughs> I think even being like super scrappy in the beginning on like product shots, right? Like I remember Anne was shooting oh, yeah. product shots in her like apartment at Koreatown in the time. And like, she like found models on Bumble, like BFF and like had free models from Bumble. And then like actually, you know, had the, her like shoe boxes in the apartment yeah. with the background. I, I fully committed to myself and told myself cause I was an artist that I would never spend money on content, which is a lot to commit to as a brand owner. I'm sure a lot of brand owners are like definitely spending money on at least like a little bit of the content, but I was like, $0 will be spent on content. Like I'll go, I, I literally would, for set, set design, I went to go to the dollar store to get like all of my set like stuff. Um, and I was like teaching myself photography, like through YouTube. Um, and like borrowing my friend's studios, like asking like her, her friends, uh, who are model to model for me, uh, for free. <laughs> and the, the pictures actually turned out amazing. Like they looked like editorial style. Cause I would just like put so much effort into it. Um, and then same with product shots, like all of the stuff that we posted on Instagram, which I posted, I committed to posting like two times a day, like daily. And I'm just by myself, like I'm a, like <laughs> like the only person doing content, and also on stories, like I'm on stories 24/7, like talking about my story, like like people are following along, you know, watching my stories as the brand was building. Even to this day, there are members that still remember like me starting the brand from the beginning. They they actually have been following the journey the entire time, and they're just like, it's actually so crazy because I've been following you guys the whole time since you began, and and I knew you were gonna blow up. So I was just like, that's crazy that all these people had so much faith in me before um, anything ever happened. Like literally like one of the first ladies that made a purchase, I still remember her because we did a thousand dollars the first day that we launched. And I was so excited because I was like, oh my God, that's so much money. Like for one day of sales, like literally sitting there, like waiting for the Shopify notification to go off. <laughs> and I'm like, DMing customers to like um, get sales so I can get more sales because I like had like 10 dings, 10 Shopify notifications go off. And I thought that was like a lot, right? And one of the ladies was like um posted on Instagram this super long post and a selfie with her and my and lashes. And she was like, this brand, I mark my words, they're gonna pop off. Like they're gonna be super successful. Like I know a good quality brand when I see one. Like I've tried all these other magnetic lashes. They don't work. Glamedic works. Like this is gonna be a, like she just like went off on this long paragraph. I still remember it because it was like the first week after we launched. And um, yeah, she posted a selfie with like the purchase. And I, you know, you remember every customer when you when you first start. Like the first month, you're like you remember literally everyone. And because you like were talking, I was customer service. I was like talking to them. Like orders missing, and I'm like 
freaking out because it's like three orders missing, you know? And so now this at the scale that we're at, it's like, it's, it's like crazy to think about. I was gonna say, I think there's two things Anne said that I think if you're, if someone's like an early founder that are super important, like one is if you are willing to put yourself out there, I think Anne putting herself out there behind the scenes on Instagram stories and like speaking on behalf of the brand and showing the behind the scenes is like, you know, one, a great way just to get content because you're content deficient when you're early, like you need as much content as you can get. So like, and putting yourself out there behind the, the scenes of the brand was super important. And I think the second is it builds a great connection with the audience. And then I think the other point she mentioned, which was super important for us was like being on the ground from a customer service perspective. And like, as the founder in the beginning, you should be answering every DM, DMing every customer that follows you. Cause that's a potential sale. Right. And like, if anything, even if you don't get the sale, you're, you know, conversing with them and understanding more about like what people want, and then you can make iterations and changes. And so um, those were some like really low hanging fruit in the beginning that like any, you know, any founder could do if, if they chose to. Yeah, no, I, I love that. Um, Paul Graham, one of the founders of Y Combinator, he talks about doing things that don't scale in the early days. Yep. Um yeah, no, that's that's yeah, that's really valuable. I agree, one hundred and ten percent. So, um, so just to round that out, it sounds like it took you guys like a year, year and a half to launch. Um, what did the pre-launch yeah. look like? Like, talk to me around influences. It sounds like Anne, you have maybe had some friends that that have helped you out, but like what, like what was the MOQ? How many how many uh, did you order? Um, and then also, yeah, what did and how many SKUs? It sounds like you said you launched with three SKUs. Um, five, five, five lashes, five lashes, and then like two types of magnetic eyeliner, and then like four different accessories. Yeah, wow. Okay, yeah. so decent size range, not just one product, one 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 SKU. Right, but I, the, the MOQ. I mean, I ordered like the minimum because <laughs> I wasn't sure if anything was going to work. I didn't want to invest much money I wanted to be smart about it and lashes are you know the cost of good of goods of lashes thankfully is really cheap so I was able to like invest like fully my own money in that um and and it was like probably five to eight thousand dollars um initially um and then basically like I was like okay like let's sell this out and then like we can reorder again but we, we sold out so fast that I was like oh shoot I should have reordered and you know you just learn that you're like oh I should have reordered as it was about to sell out and they're like, now I'm freaking out that it sold out, um, which was a good problem to have. But but demand planning was definitely not it in the beginning. It was like me eyeballing, like looking <laughs> to see like how much we had left and like thinking that I needed to buy just um, through feeling. <laughs> for, for like nine months, we were in the cycle of just airing everything over as quick as possible. And like, there wasn't even that idea of putting anything on the boat because we just couldn't get things made and, you know, scaled up quick enough. And I think like pre-launch, I mean, I think the big thing again was like, and, you know, and you can speak to more of this, but like getting all the content ready and in place and like leaning heavy into social, leaning heavy into community and the community well, side. And then, I, I didn't even know. I didn't. Okay. Like launch for me was kind of a joke, like, because there was just not that many followers on the actual page. Like, there was just not that I was like, eh, this is not going to get much attention. Like we're not big at all. No one knows us. Like let's just get it out there. And then I can start like building. And so that was my mentality, you know, early on, but I did put a lot of resources in terms of like on my own personal Instagram page, maybe I have like 30,000 followers, like not, not anything crazy. And I felt like it was like a very 50, 50, like male, female split. 
but um like I wasn't like a big influencer or anything but I was trying to push like all of my followers into like the glamatic page I was like posting memes so I can get more virality the organic virality there and then like deleting the memes afterwards um but like just trying to do different strategies to like try to grow the page organically um and so I was actually that's why I was so surprised that actually 10 people bought the first day you know I was like whoa like that's crazy um and so the, the, I didn't really think about much about like, okay, like out of the gate, it's gonna be success. I knew that it was gonna be a grind because I just knew that I didn't have an, a big audience in the beginning. And so I didn't put a lot of pressure on myself to like make launch perfect. I was sort of like, let's just get it out and just say it's launched. So then I can start the sales. Like at least Shopify can start getting money. Um, and so that's the mentality. And then I was like, okay, let's grind it out. And like, let's like post, keep posting on stories every day. Let's keep like outreaching to people. And so like, I get followers. Um, let's start turning on ads, you know, like doing all those things that you're supposed to do, like collecting email addresses. Like I was sort of like reading about like the things you should be doing as a brand. And then, um, but once we started really getting ads going, like, and, and getting like gifting on influencer side going, like that was when we started really seeing like the snowball effects of the growth. Yeah. And I, and I think even in the beginning, right again, like, and anyone can do this is like religiously DMing every single customer. And then we turned we turn DM into a sales prospecting channel, right? Because in theory, if someone is following you, that's a warm lead. If you DM them, it becomes even warmer. And then you converse and can actually um, assist and then close via DM. And that's like low hanging fruit that doesn't cost any acquisition costs. And then we started to layer in like all of the, you know, the ads that Ann mentioned um, and like founder first ad because we didn't have anyone else to shoot content and shooting the content as the founder first, right? those worked really, really well for us. And then we sort of then moved into gifting. And then obviously now we've got much more built out teams across the board, but like that was really the, the, like the early, early days. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. You should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in the trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. I'm curious, for anyone watching this right now, you guys... You guys entered a crowded market, right, with a lot of competition. What advice, and I'd love to hear from both of you, Kevin and Anne, um, what advice would you give to someone that is looking to enter a market that is very crowded? I think you have to figure out what is your actual selling point that is going to differentiate yourself like from that other competitor. Because I think for us, the main distinction between us and other lash brands was the innovation behind the, the lashes where the, the liner is magnetic, and the lashes magnetized to the, to the liner. Like that part was like the mind blowing part that people, every time that I showed or talked about that, people were like mind blown, right? And you kind of need to have that like product that blows people, people's minds were like, oh my God, like that shock and wow factor of like, 
holy crap, like I need that in my life. Um, if you can kind of translate that across, like even if you have a service, you know, like how are you so mind-blowingly better than the service like next to you? Like what is that distinctive quality that you have that other people people don't? Um, and as even like people, you know, kind of enter our specific space, you know, what really dis um, is distinguishes us is like, the, like the amount of lashes that we have, like we have almost a hundred lashes now, um, which is crazy because that's like basically the most amount of magnetic lashes on the market, like in terms of like compared to other um, companies out there. Um, and not only that, like the quality of lashes is really high, you know, our liner quality um, and, and the hold power is like, is way better than any out there. Um, and the branding and the community, which is proprietary to that brand, is really really strong and that comes from just constant nurturing so like me being like sort of showing my face every single day and like having that presence it's kind of like huda right like i'm just like always being out there um and talking to the audience so that they get to know you and your story and then you're communicating back to them um it's it's a lot of effort like we literally have like like a like a, a team just around you know like like retention and loyalty and and community so um it's all like super important to have and i was going to say to kind of echo Anne's point like you obviously have to leave with a unique value proposition but before that yeah. you just need to know that it's really really hard and it's going to be a grind like none of this is easy and if you're gonna if you're thinking that you're going to enter a category that's crowded you should know going in even if you have a unique value prop and a differentiator, it's a, it, you're, you're becoming an entrepreneur and it's really, really hard, right? So be mentally prepared for that. And then on top of like the unique value prop, that community brand piece is what makes it bigger than the product and, and turns it into a brand, right? And so you got to have high quality product and then you have to have the community to run in lockstep because that's the other differentiating factor where if there's a lash brand on Amazon, no one's tagging Amazon and Instagram, right? They're tagging Glenmedic. And, and so like you need to like, you need to really differentiate through community to build, um, to, to lean heavy into a market that's saturated. And timing, I think is super important is another thing that is overlooked. I think like timing for me was perfect. Like going into the market, the way that the timing that we did, like right after like sort of like the sandwiching type of magnetic lashes were like kind of phasing out. And I realized like, that was a genius idea like the idea of using magnets as a way to apply lashes but it just wasn't executed properly and so like seeing really that gap is really important so we have like a discerning eye around like the market that you're going to enter into and seeing like the opportunity there um then you know that's going to be huge like uh, like figs for example with like the scrubs like they saw there was no brand like big brand around scrubs that were like actually like fashionable or like they kind of rethought like scrubs and made it like you know modern um so like just thinking like really what is the gap there that that's not there and then how can you execute execute in a high quality way um execution is key though because everyone can have an idea but execution is like a whole nother thing like it's so easy to like have an idea to like hear someone else's idea and be like okay oh i like that idea like let me try to you know but no like execution is like everything right because that's what you're spending um all of your time and, and years doing the, the gap in the market and the timing thing is really important to Anne's point too. Like it there, even in a saturated market, there's always a gap. It just might be a small one and you have to find it. So it's not going to become easy. You're going to have to really, really look to figure out how 
um, you, you know, you can find that way in into, you know, into a tough market. Yeah, I see. Um, I'm curious as well, like, what are common mistakes that you see new e-commerce founders make? Um, and what do you think separates them from, like, you know, success? I mean, I think, I think like thinking everything needs to be perfect, right? Like you just got to get the thing launched and, and go and iterate from there. Like you, you can't make it too perfect. Um, and, and so I'd say that that would be like the number, the number one thing is just get the thing up and running, get it launched, um, see the response, take feedback, test, and then go. But if you're always trying to like wait until it's perfect, it's never going to launch and you're never going to be able to, um, you know, get something to market. I think another point to add on to that is um, I think a lot of new business owners don't know how to optimize or how to A-B test, like how to make what you have better, because that's kind of like the game in, in e-commerce. I mean, in any in any business, right, is like continually optimizing everything, like every single aspect of your business can be optimized and um, continually improving. Like our website is always an ever never ending project of optimization. Right. So, um, in every aspect, right. Not even just that, it's like, e like email marketing, like SMS marketing, like it's always, it always could be better. And that's how I always see every channel that we, that we, um, lean into. And, and I think that's why we have grown so quickly is because like Kevin and I are both like really obsessed with improving every channel and like how can we be better at that how can we make this culture how can we make our culture better like you know how do we improve our employees how do we provide them more resources and training like you know just like always thinking about that because you know your com competition probably isn't thinking about that like if someone's obsessed with that 24 7 like you're gonna improve like right even one percent improvement each day compounds at 365 percent you know the whole entire year that's a lot right that's a lot of compounding so like really using the the law of compounding um and especially when you have more employees like if each person improves like one percent like 70 percent, right so it's like it, it just keeps adding and adding and adding but that's only if you have the idea that you always want to improve um a lot of people just don't have that mentality i i think i think too right like i think another mistake a common mistake would be like it's it's easier than ever to start a brand. It's harder than ever to scale it. Right. And so like, everyone's like, I want to own a brand and it's cool and it's fun. Like there's a lot of really fun things with it. There's also a lot of really hard things. And so, you know, if you go into it thinking it's going to be this laid back thing and it's like, I'm just going to drop ship, do whatever. Like it just, th th that's like a big mistake. It, it's again, it's going to be a grind and like, you have to actually work really, really hard to make this happen. And so just like having the right mindset, I think is the other you know, the other big piece of it, because you get what you put into it. One thing I wanted to add was there's, it's like, it's really easy to make money, like doing anything. If you think about it, like there's so many ways to make money online nowadays. But um, one of the things kind of a litmus test that I use um, on, like, if you're going to be successful at that thing, is like, do you feel like when you go to work every day, do you want to keep working the whole time and never stop working? Like for me, it was like, I couldn't, I, I kept finding excuses to, to not stop working. Like I, I always wanted to work. Like if someone was like, you want to go to lunch? I'm like, no, I like want to work. Like that was when I realized, oh shit, like things have changed because when I was an artist, I was finding every excuse not to paint. And then when I turned into an entrepreneur and like started my brand, 
I was like finding every excuse to like not stop working. And that was when I was like, oh, like I really, this is like, I knew that it was going to be successful because I was just so like crazy passionate about it. I felt like I was literally going to die for the business. And like, I'd be cool with that. Like, that was like crazy to me that that was like, I was like in love with the business, you know, and I like never been in love like that in, in ever. So it was just like crazy um, to have that mentality shift and like to recognize that in myself. And um, I think when you feel it, you like feel it. And so like, I wouldn't stop until you like kind of find that one thing that makes you feel like alive when you're doing it, because that's really going to sort of make you like, you know, an anomaly in terms of like success. Yeah. I can really connect with that obsession. And also, yeah, like what you guys were saying, like, you know, from founders we've spoken to, you know, one thing that does also hold true is like the company that can test the most wins. So it sounds like you guys are quite aggressive on testing and just just really optimizing every part of the business. So let's talk about channels. Like what, like right now in terms of like you guys are growing very, very fast, um, what is working? Email, PPC, in particular Facebook ads, YouTube ads, TikTok, Snapchat, uh, social, organic influencers. Like what are, what are the strong channels that is working that you guys are seeing? Even with like, you know, right now, this is uh, middle of the year. We're doing this interview uh, of 2021. There's been all sorts of changes with Facebook ads and the iOS 14 update. So I'd love to get a take from your guys at a ground level what, what is working. Yeah. No, I mean, everything and all we're constantly, you know, we've got all the, all the um, usual suspects down, right? So we're obviously at scale on Facebook and Instagram and, you know, every brand's working through the iOS updates. We're running YouTube. We're getting better at the YouTube content we've got. We've got Google, we've got Snap, we've got TikTok. I think the issues with Snap and TikTok is they just, it's hard to get scale like you get on the other platforms, right? So, but we're, but it, you need at, at our scale, you sort of need to be everywhere. Um, we, you know, we're doing, uh, there's direct mail, there's, we've done some outdoor wow. camp. Yeah. We've done some outdoor campaigns. Um, you know, we're, we're, we work heavily with influencers, um, you know, from an entire gifting perspective, from, a from ones that make sense from a paid partnership perspective. Um, we obviously email SMS messenger, you literally have to have everything at this scale to, and, and then like. When you think you have enough, there's already three new things where the space is going. You need to be ahead. So I feel like Ann and I are always just like looking for the next thing um, that we need to layer into the business. And like she said, it's like this living, breathing organism that like once you get one thing set up, you bring in the next and like you plug it into the system and just keep iterating and scaling it. Yeah, there's definitely not one secret like winner uh, channel out there. I think that's a mentality probably back in like early 2000s. <laughs> probably not now because in 2021, the competition has gotten, I mean, its market's gotten saturated, right? You see that in like the increase in CPMs, like now all the advertisers after quarantine is, um, is over and COVID kind of ended, like all of these new um, brands are going up and like starting to market. And so like CPMs are going up, like you're seeing that across everything, like in, in Facebook and Instagram and um, even TikTok, like every channel has gotten saturated. And so you really kind of have to layer in a little bit of everything to give yourself that incremental revenue because it just takes, it literally takes it all. It takes all of it to, to kind of get it. But there's not one channel that's like, oh, let's, it's, this is giving me like, 50% of my revenue. 
um, anymore, at least. There's also like the, the little things that add up, right? So uh, here's what I consider a little thing. We have a, uh, a, we have a filter on Instagram, a try on last filter, right? And that doesn't necessarily equate to direct sales, but it's an assist to someone that comes into our acquisition funnel, you know, and other than price, which is always the number one barrier to entry for any brand, right? Like, well, is it going to look good on me for a beauty product? It's probably the next one, right? So how can you layer in um, 10 different types of those things that add up to one really large thing that assist in the conversion process um, are, are all really, really important things that we're always trying to be ahead on. Yeah, like I think it's like Kevin said, like ecosystem is a good word. Like how do you, like you sort of think of your brand as like an ecosystem. Like how do you add more animals to that ecosystem to kind of assist in like a revenue growth, right? So that's kind of the way we see it versus like one big animal making up most of the, most of the ecosystem. I also think the interesting thing I've seen in this space, right, is there's some, some founders and brands, they're really, really good at direct response, but they lack any like, brand or community, right? And then on the other side of the spe spectrum, you've got people that are really, really good at social and brand and community and literally have no idea how to run ads or like direct response or copyright or anything. So how do you merge those two worlds together um, and, and like create that perfect cohesiveness between the two worlds? And I think like that's what we're, you know, we're, we're always trying to do. Mm, interesting. Yes. I'm a, I share your same philosophy there, Kevin, because like at Founder, we're pretty big on direct response, but we're pretty big on branding too. And it's very rare that you see companies that have both. It's usually either one or the other. And it is a fine balance because you could go real hard and be too salesy. And like, yeah, it's, 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 uh, you, it's all about direct response principles. So yeah, okay, interesting. So like, I think it's like a seesaw too, right? And when we're like, wait a second, like we're getting too creative and it's like, let's layer in a head of data and analytics and then it Ships it, tips it back this way, right? and it's like a, a constant like seesaw to make sure it's like evenly split. So I got a follow up question for you guys because it is you're starting to paint a very clear picture to me how you've been able to rapidly grow. Um, even just from the infrastructure standpoint, you're both very very smart, really understand the space. I can see you really complement each other, uh, and you're really really strong obviously the product side really working on the content and the creative and it seems like kevin you're really good on the uh some of the marketing operations the scale and yeah all, all that and i can see how you guys are a really strong team but then also you're both obsessed with the brand and you're extremely aggressive right like you, you like the level of aggression that it, it appears that you guys are attacking this market is uh you know really impressive so for anyone watching though you know, you guys have obviously got an omni-channel approach, right? Like you, you're, you're trying every channel and you seem to just kind of work it out. Once it's working, then you're going to like obviously bring team on it. I'd love to hear from, because focus is key. And for many people watching this, they spread themselves too thin and they're watching, you know, someone's talking about YouTube ads, then someone's talking about Facebook ads and someone's talking about Pinterest organic. And like, it's very difficult to know, like, what channel should you start with? Or how do you, what is the process to know when you move on to the next channel? So I'd love to hear your guys' take around what does the process look like? Like, let's just say right now, you know, direct mail, fascinating one. You obviously, Kevin, you said, oh, you're probably, I'm assuming because you're the direct response guy, you said, let's try direct mail. 
What does that testing phase look like? And when does it, when do you go off it, bring in team or, or like hand it over? Like, like talk us through when you guys look to attack a channel and go, yep, this one's got legs. We're, we're going to add it to our ecosystem of everything we're doing. Can you talk us yeah, through that? For sure. And I think we're still getting better at how we analyze this, but we really took a step back and we're looking at it and saying, okay, here's a new channel. And we have like a checklist. Like what one is how much scale does it give us in success? Two is how much does it cost like to test? The, you know, the third is like um, how easy it is for us to get a test up, like how much time is it? And then let's say the fourth is like maintenance and team member time over time, right? And there's like a couple other things we look at. And if you look at it from that lens and analyze it, then you're like, okay, this can get us to medium to high scale if successful. It's low to medium cost to test and it takes low to medium time then it's like, let's take a crack at that and test it and figure out a quick test, um, figure out how we measure it. And then if it works, scale it. If it doesn't, cool. Maybe we try it one more time and then we kill it, right? But if we see something that's like um, low scale, lots of effort, doesn't do other things, maybe like build brand or community or something like indirect, then we're like, probably not the test right now for us to take. And we sort of punt on it for later down the road. And, you know, we try to always sort of analyze things, you know, that way um, to get a read on whether it's worth testing or not. And who owns going out and finding new channels? Is it you? Is it Anne? Is it, is it your head of growth? Like, like who owns that? It's, it's really a mix of like a few people in the, in the company. I mean, I think one thing we've tried to do is empower people and we give lots of people a ton of autonomy we make, we let people know that, that it's okay to make mistakes. Like hopefully we limit big mistakes, but like, it's okay to make mistakes. And then like anyone that has a good idea on the team can bring it in. Um, you know, there's a lot that obviously comes inbound now from there's, I feel like there's 80 million new services a day that come and some of them are good and some of them aren't. And then it's some of it's, we're bringing it in and the other, others it's our head of growth or our marketing manager, um, or even like an intern that has a great idea. Um, and we'll listen to anything, you know, I think you have to be open. And I, I get so much like inbound emails from like services and you name it, like so much. And so like, I'll actually go through and see like what it, what services is actually worth exploring. And that's kind of how we do also get a lot of the services, just, just like that inbound email. And then all the Shopify plus like newsletter is great as well. This is the other really, really hard thing about being a brand founder today is there's so many choices in the Shopify economy. It's like, what do you do, right? You've, you've, and you kind of got to have the basics down, right? Email, SMS, like the basics, but then there's like 50 other potential plugins or things that you could have. And then they all look the same and there's five competitors of each, right? And, um, and so it's a lot of just like constant assessment. And then I would suggest talking to other really smart, you know, founders that may, you may, you know, in your network or through blogs or whatever it may be to sort of try to help get an assist to come to those answers. Um, this has been a great interview, guys. You guys have been like so open, so giving. Um, so thank you. We have to work towards wrapping up. Um, I'd be foolish not to just touch a little bit more on just breaking down if or any, any experiences that you could share that you think are valuable to our audience around scale. Um, so if somebody's watching this right now and they are doing 100 grand a year, for the e-commerce brand, um, direct to consumer, let's just say direct to consumer, um, they're doing hundred grand a year and they want to go to 50 million a year, like insane growth. You've kind of painted a little bit of a picture, but um, 
what 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 would you guys prescribe to that person um, if there was one area of focus? First of all, if you are like using all of these channels that we're 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 doing, um, I guess I would look at that first. Like, see if what channels you can actually like run ads through. I would try that. Like, Instagram and Facebook probably be the start because they have the most sophisticated tools. Um, if you're already running through that and not seeing success, then look at your product and see what's wrong with it. Cause I think a lot of people kind of like expect success overnight um, without actually making sure that the product that they have is amazing. Um, and so like try to understand like are, in your marketing me messages, like are you actually getting across the idea through an ad or through an influencer that this product has any special use case that like other products don't? Um, or like what is that special, right? Special offering that you have that other people don't so like if you get that clearly across you know theoretically you should be able to scale to some level like way above 100k i would say start there and i think like you know to ann's point again obviously you know you have to be a marketer to sell products you have to have your marketing down and then i think just making sure that like you have the, the other side of the house like prepared right so like if you're going to scale you should make sure that you have your supply chain um, you know, in check and like organized and like, you've got the ops piece of the business. Um, you know, it's never going to be perfect. I mean, it was, again, we were like airing stuff in and it was crazy, man. It was like wild when you're scaling that quickly, but like, you need to at least have a decent foundation to start to build on. And then the other thing is when you start to hire employees, right. Um, really be, you know, if, particularly if you've never managed people before, you have to quickly learn how to become a very, good manager and it requires being like very, you know, direct with people, but also like nurturing and, you know, team building and like the culture starts to become important and, and people need to buy into a collective mission. So being very clear with the direction you want to take the brand and not like to your point earlier of not being unfocused, you know, you need to apply a really high level of focus and get the entire team to buy into that. If you actually want to, you know, want to scale that quickly. Yeah, love it. Awesome. Well, look, we'll work towards wrapping up. We've got one last section, which is what we call the hot seat round. So I'm going to ask you guys four rapid fire questions, ideally 30 second answers. I'm going to ask you both individually though. So if I could get a take from both of you for each of these answers, is that cool? Great. Uh, what's a recent brand that you've seen where you've gone, I wish I made that? <laughs> I actually, I saw one, um, passion footwear. I actually saw, I was like, wow. So it's like a heel. It's basically a heel that turns into a flat. You just take off the heel and then it converts into a flat. And I was like, wow, that's genius. Um, but yeah, she was like gifting me and I was talking to her on DM and I was like, amazing. They were on Shark Tank. So I was like, that's really genius. That's a good one, man. I feel like I have so many. One of my buddies is the uh, founder of Brewmate. It's like uh, drinkware, and they, he scaled that thing like hundred. I don't know what they're going to do in revenue this year. Nine figures in revenue, and and I think he did a great job on just like the entire brand, and um, and it's it's awesome. So I I I, I wish I would have started that. And figs to Anne mentioned Anne mentioned figs earlier. Crowded market and medical apparel made it cool. Awesome brand. Love it. Uh, what's one trait you believe every entrepreneur needs to find success? Mental toughness. Um, I think that you have to be 
my dad's a sports psychologist. So I think that subconsciously helped me a lot going up, but you, you know, it's up, down, up, down, good days, bad days. You have to be mentally prepared and have mental toughness in order to succeed. And like I mentioned earlier, passion, because without passion, you're not going to care about mental toughness. You're not going to care about even trying to improve. Like it just, everything kind of falls to the wayside without passion. What's one thing that you think most people misunderstand when it comes to starting an e-commerce brand? I think they just think it's going to be easy. Um, that it basically like right after, like basically at launch, it's going to be successful. And then that's that. And then basically they just stop working after that. I don't think they understand that it's actually a constant everyday grind in order to grow and that you actually are dedicating your entire life to it. Like I literally had zero balance in my life when I first started. And um, it was basically like a hundred percent of my time was dedicated to Planetic. And I don't think people maybe have that mental um, like mentality when they're actually starting. Yeah. And I think for me, it would be how important numbers can become like in the beginning, it's like, Oh, you're ordering 500 units and it costs this, right. And it, you know, you make it for this, but like, um, you know, all of a sudden you start ordering half a million units, million units. And like, you know, your margins and like the, you know, um, the way you negotiate your vendor deals and like, you know, making, there's two ways to make money in e-commerce. There's make more revenue and then there's keep costs low. Right. And so it's really, I think people underestimate how important that side of the business is. Last question. If you could have dinner with any entrepreneur dead or alive, who would it be and why? Kevin already knows who I'm going to say. <laughs> I would say Elon, Elon Musk, obviously. It's just, um, I mean, I think, I think like his uh, vision, he's like such a visionary and like um, kind of thinks of things farther way further ahead than anyone else thinks just by like logic and sheer just like oh this makes sense to do and then he like does it even though no one else has done it and so and then he sticks to his belief 100% like and will die and go to his grave for it I love that mentality um, and agree with it as well it's kind of like one of the mentalities I try to strive for when I'm running my brand I think and SpaceX and I'm like Blue Origin I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Jeff Bezos like I just think obviously it's, it's an insane like monster that he's created. And um, for me, I've always like just really looked up to everything he's done. So um, I think that's where it's funny that 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 this answer sums up like Ant, like Ann and I and like our partnership and like how we sort of think slightly differently, but similar. Um, so for me, it's Jeff Bezos. I mean, I love Jeff too. I love, I love like watching him speak. It's just, he's like, so astute and the way that he explains things just makes you like more passionate about that one thing because he's just so passionate about whatever he's talking about like he he built that thing from the ground up it's actually crazy yeah no look i can see how you guys are a really good team um that's very very clear to me now so look thank you so much we'll wrap there but thank you so much for your time this is an incredible interview extremely valuable it's going to help a lot of people and yeah thank you so much for just taking the time to share your experiences lessons learned and congratulations on all of your success thus far uh, I look forward to following you both of your journeys. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Nathan. Awesome. Thanks, Nathan. So fun. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. 
So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.